Well, good morning. My name is John Allen. Welcome to Risen Church. I want to kick things off here with uh, a little call and response to something we do uh, on a kind of a consistent basis. It's one of the, uh, my favorite. It's a, a, a church greeting, ancient church greeting. So if I were to say, he is risen, you would say, he is risen indeed. All right, here we go. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. And that makes all the difference. The resurrection changes everything. Because with the resurrection, what that did is provided access to us to the presence and power of God for his purpose. A lot of times we think about salvation, we, we think about grace, we think about Christianity even, and we only think about something that was done and, and, and that's it, and now it's like we're on our own and God just kind of sent us and he's like, okay, I'll see you later, don't screw it up, right? But that's not what it's about. It's about him having given us access to God Almighty now, not just one day when we die, now, that's what the resurrection did, is it paved the way to eternal life and relationship with him. His presence, his power, but not just for our own entertainment's sake, for a greater purpose. The Great Commission, you might even say. His glory, his kingdom coming now. Say now on earth as it is in heaven, in Virginia Beach as it is in heaven. And so this is a, 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 a grace is a gift, but it's a gift that literally keeps on giving. And so this morning, we're going to talk about what that is. We're going to talk a little bit about the gift of grace and the grace gifts that we're given. In fact, the word for spiritual gift that we just heard about in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1 through 7, is the word charismata. It literally means grace gift. It's what we have access to now as a result of what he has done for us then. We're going to talk about that this morning, and I'm, I'm excited because we're, we're going to kind of uh, open up a sort of a new section of our series. Um, but I want to quickly just say this past week, uh, I, I had a chance to go down to North Carolina. We had a conference, a leadership team um, conference, where uh, we were able to bring some of our leadership team from our church down to this conference where there's a number of like-minded churches from our, uh, our, our network or our like, collaborative. It's called the Summit Collaborative. We got to go down there, and, and this time, you know, normally it's been a, a situation where it's just for pastors and wives, but this is the first time where they opened it up to the leadership teams. And so we actually got to bring uh, 10 people down there, which was fantastic, and we had a chance to uh, get to hang out with each other, worship with each other. I was able to see some familiar faces. It was able, obviously, with all of the new leaders and volunteers and stuff that got to come, um, I was able to meet some new faces, a lot of new faces, and again, we were able to meet together, worship together, learn from one another, and grow together. People from all over the United States, and uh, it, it's so good to soak in that kind of environment. I don't know if you've ever been in these types of uh, situations or rooms where everybody, and I mean everybody, is completely sold out to the point where they have leveraged their entire lives and walked in it even for a while, 
where they're just giving their lives to the kingdom, man. I mean, that kind of worship, there's, it's, it's amazing. I love it, and I'm so grateful that we got to invite others into that kind of atmosphere. Um, but I want you to know that there is nothing like coming home. Like, I'm so grateful for that kind of conference. But I, I, there's something, even just coming here and singing with you, like, it's kind of like, it's, I feel like I've just kind of been like an like extended family, right? And then I'm, I'm coming home. Like, this is home. This is where I feel like God is calling and moving and, and what he's doing. All of that is, is in an essence, in a sense, to support what God is doing here. You see that? And I love it because this is our gospel family, Risen Church. And I'm excited for the life that God is breathing in and through us right here, right now. And so um, I, wanna, I do want to say, if you're not officially a part of our church, but you are interested, then I want to invite you in. Like, this is not this exclusive family that says you're not allowed in. This is just us for no more. You know, this is a situation where we are beholding the king and the vision that he's placed before us, and we're partnering together in this gospel. And so I want to invite you in. And your on-ramp for that kind of connection and community and gospel community here at Risen is what we call the Weekender. Say the Weekender. You may have heard of it if you have been gathering with us uh, before. So uh, the Weekender is, is basically, uh, well, you can learn a lot about it. Hold these up. You guys see these QR codes? If you see one, they should be on your seats kind of nearby. If you can just grab one, if you see one, hold it up so you know what it is. This is, this is welcome Find ways to connect here. So if you scan this with your phone, you can get more information about the Weekender, and you can register for that. And This is important because we're having it this Friday, this Friday and this Saturday. So if you're interested, um, then I want you to grab that, scan that. If you are like, I'm not really into the smartphone thing, you know, you're just kind of like, ah, it's too much. Come talk to me. There's a table in the back as well, the next steps table. So um, I, one of the things that I love about our church, though, is how involved we are with our city, okay? So again, our mission here, we exist to share life in Christ, our risen Lord, with each other, our city, and beyond. And so one of the ways that we do that is through our friendships with, and, and even partnerships with local businesses. And so, uh, for example, here at the water table, we've actually been given a lot of favor um, in our relationship with the ownership of this local business, which is what it is. And so we've been thankful for this venue, and uh, we're really thankful for what God is doing there, and we're going to talk about that in the coming months. So stay tuned. Hey, just drop that out there for you. So, um, but we also have great relationships with a, a number of other local businesses in our city, which is one of the reasons why our Friday night weekender session is going to be held at Roast Rider Coffee at 6.15. So uh, 6.15 p.m., we've got the whole space, and we're going to actually have free drinks available to us and smoothies and stuff like that, and it's great. And so uh, God's actually provided opportunities to even witness to um, and share life with some of the people who are running that shop. And so some of you actually are a part of our church that used to manage that. Where is Jairus? Is he here this morning? Anyway, that's how I met him. So he'll, well, anyway, if you see Jairus, give him a high five and ha ask him to make you a coffee drink. It's awesome. So um, Saturday morning then is actually also going to be meeting. We're going to be meeting at a brand new event venue um, 
on the rooftop of Hanger Law, uh, which is a, a Christian-owned law firm. A friend of mine runs it. We were very, they are graciously providing us with this exceptional space on Saturday morning. So these are ways that we really do partner with the city in Christ. And, so, uh, and then, of course, and this is just my way of reiterating things that God's doing in our church, say October 30th. KOA Campground Churchwide Picnic. It's going to be great, but we're actually going to do a worship service at the KOA Campground at 11 a.m. So if you show up here at 9 a.m., nobody will be here. And then you just go, oh, they're at the KOA Campground. So we're going to have a worship service there at 11 a.m., bring a friend or five. Um, that, that, that campground is actually run by our friends Keith and Barb Stahersky, and so they have also graciously offered us that space to gather and celebrate all that God is doing. So I'm excited about it. It's going to be great. Um, so many opportunities to connect and invite and share life in Christ and live on mission for the Great Commission and God's glory. And so I want you to remember this. These aren't just announcements. Oftentimes we hear these things and it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this stuff, is not it's not just events, right? These are opportunities to share life in Christ with each other and our city. Our church is not just a church that gathers together to hear some dude speak every week. All right? This is great. We love the Word of God. We dive into it, we rally around it, but this is not all there is. So this is why community is so important, because this is a team effort. This is a co-mission, amen? And so as we dive in, I want you to invite others to draw near and, and draw near to him together. So for the past few weeks, we've been in a series called Hunger and Thirst, which is all about cultivating deeper desire for more and more of God, even in the midst of a weary and dry land. This is part of our calling, is that we are to tap into the source and be that place of overflow and an oasis, in a sense. We see this imagery throughout the scriptures. And that source, that wellspring, is in Christ, in the power of the Spirit of God. And so I want to quickly retrace our steps so that you can see the significance of the Holy Spirit for all of Christian life, okay? So we started this series by looking at the significance of baptism in Matthew chapter 3 and 4. And then last week we dove into the significance of communion by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And when you really read God's word... When you really dive in, you'll see that both baptism and communion are all about hungering and thirsting and feasting upon the all-satisfying love of God in Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the access that we've been given to God the Father because of the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so both baptism and communion demonstrate and proclaim these spiritual realities, and they are, are designed in so many ways to whet our appetites for more and more every time we celebrate them. Now again, baptism and communion do not save you. Grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone is what saves us. Amen? Baptism and communion are sacred ordinances given to the church for our growth and our maturity. It's a big word, sanctification. And they do that by pointing us and reminding us and encouraging us to behold Jesus and what he has done for us and the access we now have because of that. 
So they're sacred reminders that Christianity is not about what you can do for God. Say it again. Christianity is not about what you can do for God. It's about what God has done for you. Everything else is now this authentic expression of worship. Deep from the heart. From a transformed life that's in love with the Savior and King. This is why we do all that we do. Even when we don't feel like it. This is why we do it. Because he's worthy. It's why we sing what we sing. So Christian baptism is about new birth, right? It's about new birth. It signifies immersion into the love and grace of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's the demonstration and proclamation that you've been born again and filled with His Spirit. Communion is the participation of fellowship with his people. It's a demonstration of proclamation, pulling up to the table of the Lord, feasting in fellowship with the Father because of the Son and the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. You guys seeing it? I'm going to say it over and over again until it starts to click. I hope this is wetting your spiritual appetites. Like, this is so good, it's so beautiful. But it doesn't end there. I want you to see this, but I, I, I want you to see where we've been so you can understand also where we're going and how this all ties in together. Because it's not just about remembering what he's done for us. It's also about operating, partnering, you might say, together in this full partnership with and dependence upon his presence and his power for his purpose. And the way that we do that is through this unique and extraordinary gifting that he gives to each individual Christian for this mission. So you haven't just been sent on a mission to go at it alone. Again, you've been commissioned with his power and presence to accomplish his purpose. And so the way his spirit manifests within us for the building of his church and the expanding of his kingdom upon the earth are called gifts of the spirit or some call them spiritual gifts i like the term gifts of the spirit because it gets down i think to the heart of really what it is and we'll talk about why in a second this is what we're going to talk about this morning we're going to pick up right where we left off last week with first corinthians 12 verse 1 through 7 that's where we're going to be which is sort of an intro to the significance of the gifts of the Spirit. And as we walk through these seven verses, i got three points for you that are all going to flow out of the first main point. And so again, this is going to be sort of an intro into this section on the gifts of the Spirit. And so we're going to talk about themes that we'll unpack a little bit more as we go through the next three chapters, okay? And so here's the one thing that I want you to get. It's the, it's the, if you get nothing else, because all three of our points flow out of this first point and main point. You ready? Here it is. To desire the gifts of the Spirit is to desire more of God himself. To desire the gifts of the Spirit is to desire more of God himself. This gets so twisted and so many people are super uninformed about this, but as we're going to see, God does not want you to be uninformed when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. 
okay? Because the gifts of the Spirit aren't something separate from God. They are manifestations of Himself in and through His grace-bought, Spirit-filled people for His purposes. Which is why we'll see later in the next couple of chapters that we're called to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. It's almost like we should hunger and thirst for them or something. But if you don't cultivate that hunger and thirst for more of God, hear me, you'll have no desire for the gifts of the Spirit. This isn't about magic tricks. (laughs) It's not about spiritual entertainment or like superpowers that we get. It's not a way to manipulate things or people or even God into giving you what you want. It's not what this is. This is about partnering together in Christ, dependent, say dependent, upon his presence and his power to accomplish his purpose in the earth. I'd say they're kind of important. So he doesn't just send us out alone. Again, he empowers us with his presence and commissions us in partnership with himself and each other. So the first point is the main point. To desire the gifts of the Spirit is to desire more of God himself. Hunger and thirst. Like if you're not hungry for more of God, then none of this is going to matter to you. That's why before we even try to dive into this stuff, I I was wetting your appetites so that you even see some of the mainstays of Christianity, baptism and communion, that they're all pointing to a hunger and a thirst for more of God. Because if you're not hungry and thirsty, you're just going to see this as an, as, as a, an, an add-on. Not even really necessary. In fact, let's do some theological gymnastics because this makes me uncomfortable and I'm just going to figure out a way that this doesn't even apply to us anymore. What? So let's talk about it, okay? Second point. Christianity is supernatural and interactive because our God is alive. Three, gospel community is about transformation, not just conformity. All right, here we go. You guys ready? Let's do this. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1 says this. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Okay? So again, this kicks off this three-chapter section that's almost entirely devoted to the understanding and operation of the gifts of the Spirit in the midst of the local church. And it's important to realize, though, the context into which Paul is writing. So this is, the Corinthian church was like extremely hyper-spiritual. Like the Corinthians weren't just misusing the gifts of the Spirit, they were full-on abusing them for their own self-interests. Not unlike the way they were approaching communion, which we saw in chapter 11. But also, again, like communion, the Apostle Paul here, he writes to them, and he gives them instructions on how to redeem it, not just throw it out. Right? He, he says, or he doesn't say, you know what, you guys can't seem to get this right, so just stay away from it entirely. He doesn't say, don't do communion anymore, don't celebrate communion anymore, in chapter 11. He shows them what it is about. He gives them the why behind the what. He doesn't throw it out. He just reins them in, giving them the why behind the what for what it's about. He does the same thing here then with the gifts of the Spirit. In fact, we got a little snippet on communion last week. 
We get three chapters on the gifts of the Spirit. And so we can learn from this. This is why it's happened. It's almost like God uses the things the devil means for harm for our good. And so, so many people see the gifts of the Spirit, they're, they're abused or they're misused in the church, and they just opt out entirely. But hear this, misuse should not lead us to disuse. Misuse should not lead us to disuse, especially when it comes to something as significant as our dependence upon God's presence and power to accomplish God's purpose in and among his people. So, for the next three chapters of 1 Corinthians, we have a very detailed instruction on operating in the gifts of the Spirit as a local church. And so he begins here with verse 1 of chapter 12 saying, I don't want you to be uninformed. How many people are super uninformed about the gifts of the Spirit? Like most people are just kind of like, oof, I don't know about that. I'm just going to flip over to chapter 15. It's a little more comfortable. But, but what we're going to see is that he starts with, I don't want you to be uninformed, but he's going to end in chapter 14, encouraging us again to earnestly desire the gifts. And then 1 Corinthians 14, 40, he ends the whole section with this. But all things should be done decently and in order. That's important. So too often there's this tendency to highlight chapter 12, verse 1, that's focusing on like, let's focus more on the gifts, and then dismiss chapter 14, verse 40, which says do it in decency and in order. Or people do the opposite. They highlight chapter 14, verse 40, and they highlight decency and in order so much that it paralyzes people from even looking at it. They're like, I don't know, is that decent? Is that orderly? I don't know. I, in fact, you know what? I'm, pe- I'm petrified of even going anywhere close to that, and so I'm just going to throw it all out together and not go there at all. And in so doing, we miss the point. Again, one of my favorite quotes from Martin Luther is like a drunk man. We'd climb up on one side of the horse and fall off on the other side, right? And so hear me. The fastest way to quench the spirit in a local church is to be highly suspicious or fearful of stepping out of bounds. Maybe you're only applying that to your own life. Maybe your fear and your hesitation and your apprehension and your suspicion is only applied to yourself. But whoo, that spreads like a virus, man. Because people are like, well, this is where the enemy is like, don't do that. You're going to get it wrong. You're going to get stoned. You're going to get judged. But in order to earnestly desire the gifts, we have to humbly lay down our preferences for comfort and the fear of man. It's about humility. As the saying goes, I'd rather have to rein the horse in than have to constantly kick it to get going. (laughs) Right? The horse you have to kick to get going is either timid and fearful or just lazy. But the horse you have to rein in is also called a horse with spirit. Bridled, meeked. It's another way of saying that. So as we walk through these next three chapters, we're going to lean into both his word and spirit. Because we're a people of the book, right? Amen? You're people of the book? Believe the Bible is the authority of God? I do. So let's read it. And as, what we, as we do, we're going to see that this book points us to his spirit 
in very practical ways. So, so what is it that we are to eagerly desire here? What is it that the Apostle Paul doesn't want us to be uninformed about? Well, again, simply put, the gifts of the Spirit are unique manifestations of God's Spirit in and through His people. And it's for the building of His church and the accomplishment of the Great Commission. And it's all for God's glory, not man's. Okay? And so they aren't superpowers, they're they're, they're extraordinary allotments that are given by God to be stewarded, say stewarded, to be stewarded for his kingdom and his glory. And again, these gifts are not something separate from his person. To desire the gifts of the Spirit is to desire God himself. And so to desire the, the gifts to operate more and more in and through your life and our church is to desire God to operate more and more in and through your life and our church. Now, I want to say this too, that sometimes when people talk about the gifts, it sounds like they're just frustrated. You ever feel that way? Like it's almost like you hear this and it's like I'm just like, guys, get better. Why can't you just operate more in the gifts of the Spirit? Why can't you surrender more to God? That's not at all where I'm coming from here, okay? In fact, I want to show you that his spirit is in deep operation within our church right now, and it's awesome. It's what he's doing. I just want you to have eyes to see it and be hungry and thirsty for more. So we recognize then, because this is we can't do this in our own power. It's not about pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps and being like, ah, okay, I'm going to do better and grit my teeth and then prophesy over somebody. What? I, that, like, that's not what this is about. We need his power to accomplish his purpose, and that power comes through his presence because this is the gospel. This is how he kicked it off. This is the resurrection, right? Like this, the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God became a man. He lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death we deserved to die. And he conquered death in the grave through the resurrection, paving the way to eternal life with God that starts now through the indwelling power and presence of his spirit. Now. Not just one day when we die, but now. And we can be so self-consumed with our own strength and our own abilities and our own good enough or not good enough that we completely miss out that we are complete idiots without him. You're a dumb sheep but you got a really good shepherd. Like, how freeing is that? And he wants to liberate us and draw us closer to him and fill us and do things that go way beyond anything that we could ask or imagine according to the power at work within us. That's a spirit. Transform us from the inside out, but it's not just about our own maturity. It's about the expansion of his kingdom and his commission upon the earth. Right? This isn't just about your sanctification and becoming a better person. Somebody needs to hear that. That's not the end goal. You are not the end goal. His kingdom is. His glory is. Now, he loves you so much and he's invited you into this thing and in the process, you are sanctified and you are being built up in him and he loves you more than you could ever imagine. But we set our eyes on the king and his kingdom, right? Matthew 7, in Matthew 7, verse 7 through 11, Jesus says this. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. 
Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, in comparison to your good father, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So he does want us to ask him for good gifts, right? Ask! Now follow me, though. What are the good gifts that we're ultimately asking for? Bread? Fish? Full bellies? Is that what he's talking about? What are you truly hungry for? What truly satisfies? What is it that you truly desire more than anything? In Luke 11, verse 11 through 13, it records Jesus saying something extremely similar, but there's one subtle clarification. Read this with me. What father among you, sound familiar? If his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Life isn't just about full bellies. Amen? You see this? In other words, to desire these good gifts is ultimately desire more of God himself. It's who you're created for, fully dependent upon him, and yet responsible to steward and fan into flame the gift that he's placed within you, each of you, all of us. The question is, are you hungry? Are you hungry? And what are you hungry for? What are you asking for? A better job? That's great. He loves good things. He wants to give good gifts to his children. But that's not the end goal leverage that job for the kingdom of heaven amen this is what it's about this is how god grows us and we we humbly say holy spirit come are you fanning this into flame or are you comfortable guys this requires stretching it requires stepping out of your comfort zone that is what faith is this is how god grows us and this is how We move in the power of his presence in his purpose, for his purpose. Now, we barely are going to be able to brush the surface this morning on on the power of the gifts and what it's all about. But but I, like Paul here, I don't want you to be uninformed, which is why I want to encourage you to stick with us through this series and throughout this series. Most people have a lot of questions about the gifts of the Spirit, as you should. I do. There's a lot here. I think we're going to be asking questions about the power of this for eternity. It's going to be great. But most people, again, they have a lot of questions about it. Like, like, what are the gifts? What are the gifts of the Spirit? How many are there? Can you have more than one? Are, Are they all still available to us? Like, how do you get them? Do I already have them? How do I know? Are they already in operation in our church? What does that even mean? So, so we've got some ground to cover, right, in the next three chapters. And, and again, we may take some breaks in between, okay, but we'll get there. You, the question is, are you hungry? Are you up for it? Are you? So 
let's keep rolling. Verse 2. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. So ironically, a lot of people have trouble grasping the fact that Christianity is supernatural. It's kind of funny. Honestly, it's a funny thing when you think about it. It's like, yeah, God raised him from the dead, but I don't know about this supernatural stuff. So often Christianity gets twisted into this distant set of principles or rules, which really just makes themselves their own God and a way to control themselves, their environment, and the people around them. But if you're going to take the gospel and God's word seriously, then you need to come to grips with the fact that this thing is supernatural, which is the second point. Christianity is supernatural and interactive because our God is alive. But not everything that's supernatural is God. Verse 2 is the blatant reminder to the Corinthians that before they received Christ as their Savior and King, they were led astray to mute idols. He's saying they were mute, they were silent, but you were led. In other words, those idols weren't interacting with them on this like dynamic loud way in a sense they were mute they were silent wood and stone and yet he emphasizes you were indeed led because there are other spiritual powers at play in this world and they led them to these idols that they worshiped whether they realized it or not whether you believe in it or not it may have seemed like you were just following the crowd or doing whatever everybody else was doing and it didn't matter but there were spiritual powers and are spiritual powers and principalities at work that blind people from the truth and lead them into opposition and rejection of the one true god and so the point here is that the supernatural is real and it's not all the holy spirit So it's important to discern then what is of God and what is not. And so the way that we do that is by ultimately holding fast to God's word, his spirit, and the lordship of Jesus Christ alone. And so this is what he says. Look at verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. In other words, this is all about Jesus. Remember the Corinthians were a hyper-spiritual church, but they were also pretty carnal. Meaning that they, were bo- they both struggled with their own sinful desires and they tended to over-spiritualize things and easily get worked up into like a sensational frenzy and call it spirituality. But Paul doesn't tell them to avoid the spiritual. He tells them to discern and submit it to the lordship of Christ. And so, as we'll see, exercising wisdom and discernment, weighing everything in humility, not pride, not being like, I'm better than them, but humbly weighing it with the word of God and the lordship of Christ, not simply dismissing that which is uncomfortable because of suspicion or judgment according to your own preferences, which are often carnal. Again, earnestly desire the gifts, but do it in decency and in order. And here we get an example of how to discern when things are of God and when they're not. If it's of God, it's going to point you to the lordship of Jesus. Not the spiritual status of a person, not the opinions of man. It's all about King Jesus and his gospel. And so this is what the Holy Spirit does. He operates in what's been called the floodlight ministry, okay? 
So one of my favorite books is a book by a guy named J.D. Greer, and the book's title is called Jesus Continued, Why the Spirit Inside of You is Greater Than Jesus Beside of You. It's got a special place in my heart because it was written by a man that actually led me to Jesus. But early on when I, he was discipling me, I asked him about spiritual gifts and I'm like, what is this all about? And he said, you know what? I'm kind of in the camp where it's like I'm open, but I'm cautious. And as I'm reading the, gifts, or reading the word, I'm kind of like, yeah, but that's, that doesn't, it doesn't say be open, but cautious. It says earnestly desire. And so what's so fascinating about this fast, fast forward, I think it was about a decade he has this like dramatic encounter with the Spirit of God. He changes his mind entirely, and he wrote this book, and it is so good. So I like celebrate it every page as I'm reading it, right? And so if you haven't read this book, I do encourage you to. But he talks about driving by the Washington Monument at night and seeing it all lit up with floodlights. Maybe have you ever been to the Washington Monument or driven by it and you see it? It's like all up in lights. You can't miss it. And you think, man, that monument is awesome. Right? You see it, it's impressive. You're like, that, that is an amazing monument. But you don't think, wow, those floodlights are great. You're not thinking about the floodlights, you're thinking about what the floodlights are pointing you to. In a similar way, that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. He appoints us, or he points us to Jesus. That's what he's doing. He's not necessarily pointing himself to himself. He points us to Jesus. And listen to me. In a world filled with new age spirituality where everything spiritual must be good, one way to know whether the spirit in operation is actually the Holy Spirit is when it's not just pointing to some ethereal idea of God, but it's pointing you to the Word of God in the flesh who is Jesus Christ, the God-man. Especially, we, we're right down the street from the Edgar Casey Center, man. They twist this mess upside down and inside out, and it is not of God. Okay? I, you need to hear this. That is not Christianity. Just because it's supernatural, and yeah, I think they are doing some supernatural stuff sometimes. They might even throw Jesus around every once in a while, but the, hey, they can take that name in vain also. It's about the Lordship. Right? It's about intimacy with him. And so again, it's truly all about Jesus. That doesn't mean that the floodlights are any less amazing. It means the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean that he's any less God or any less amazing, nor is the Father. In fact, you'll notice that Jesus himself is constantly pointing us to the Father. This is selfless nature of the, the Godhead or the Trinity. Three persons in one nature, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, oneness and yet not sameness, unity in diversity. This matters. I'm going to explain why. Because we've been invited to participate in this glorious dance of fellowship with the Father because of Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit even now. It's what you're created for. And now if that just blew your mind, good. If it just confused you, that's okay too. Stay tuned because there's power here. Again, this all requires humility and dependence upon Jesus, which is kind of the point, right? And so Paul is giving them a simple method of discerning what is of God and what is not. If it points you away from Jesus as Lord, then it's safe to bet it's not of God. If it points you towards him, then you're on the right track. And we're going to still, but, and yet, we're still called to weigh it all in wisdom and discernment in his word, which is our authority. And because it is our authority, this is why we do this, because this is his word that tells us to do it like this. Okay? 
But again, this is not the same thing as suspicion. Remember, the fastest way to quench the spirit of God in a church is to operate out of a judgmental, preference-oriented spirit that's ready to cast a stone at the first sign that something might be uncomfortable. We've got to trade our suspicions for discernment and our judgmental attitudes for humility and wisdom. This is how we do this all in love and in grace. We're going to talk about this more as we go because this requires a lot of grace, which is, again, kind of the point, right? This is what we do. And so this may make some of you a bit uncomfortable, and that's okay. It's just more opportunity to lean into his word and spirit. After all, if he's not stretching us and growing us, it may be a sign that Jesus isn't your Lord, your comfort is. So the question is, are you hungry and thirsty for more of God? Or simply content in comfort? If we're truly a people of the book, we've got to take this seriously. Amen? So this is a safe place to grow and seek the Lord. I want to say that. This is a safe place for you to seek the Lord and to grow. To let the gospel be offensive, but nothing else. Okay? Verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So this is a picture of unity and diversity. There are many gifts that are allotted or distributed, but they're all from God. And so sometimes people, and and let me say this, they're all supernatural. Like sometimes people try to distinguish between the miraculous sign gifts and the regular gifts, like the normal ones, okay? You might have even heard this taught. This has been a big thing. As if something like prophecy is more supernatural than the gift of administration. But follow this. Depending on who you ask, prophecy might be more blatant or even more exciting. Like somebody, prophecy is essentially someone telling you something that they could not know, and you know that that's from God. It can only have come from God. That would be a prophetic word that's given or spoken, okay? Maybe you experienced that even during the sermon. Maybe I'm talking, it's like, how does he know? Has he been following me around? That's not me, that's Jesus, okay? That's the Spirit of God. That's what that is. You'll notice that I asked the, the Lord to speak prophetically through me. That's what I'm saying. I want him to meet you in a way that I cannot. Not in my strength, in his And so, again, that sometimes for many people feels like it's more supernatural or more blatant or even exciting, but it it also may be that you're not thinking about it with the right perspective. In fact, if you've ever encountered someone who's truly operating in the gift of administration for the building up of his church, you can sense the supernatural hand of God at play, and you can see the fruitful impact on the church and the kingdom, and it's beautiful. And it's so good, and it's so necessary, and it's beyond human capacity. People often get frustrated and say that they want the gifts to operate in our church more. And and I do too. Hear me. I do too. But that's because I want more and more of God, not because the gifts aren't operating. Like, we do need more of the gifts. Like, do we need more gifts of administration? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean it's not happening. Or prophecy. Do we need more of that? Yes. But it doesn't mean it's not happening. So should we pray and ask God to fan those gifts into flame? Yes. 
Yes. Do we want more? Absolutely. But it is happening, and we should pray for more. Also, sometimes it happens and we ignore it or, or we overlook it because we're looking for something flashy. Because that's how this world twists this stuff. They make it flashy and make it about themselves, right, and a platform. That's not what this is about. In fact, it's the opposite. Don't get me wrong. I, I've had people prophesy over me in such a blatant way. It might as well have been a 20-foot angel that dropped out of the sky. Okay, we'll talk about this more later. In fact, someone gave Hannah and I a very timely word that was clearly from God just a couple of months ago, and we knew it was legit, but even so, and we're going to talk about the practical aspects of this, we still have been continually weighing it in wisdom with the word and his people and watching and actually being blown away as it's been coming to pass pretty powerfully. Blatant healing also happens in our church risen church often do we want need more of it absolutely but just because somebody doesn't make a big show of it or declare thus saith the lord before speaking that doesn't make it any less authentic in fact i'd say that the flash often robs it of its power jesus himself demonstrated this a lot in the gospels he doesn't draw people to the entertainment factor all of this is designed to draw us to him. You see, planting and growing the church and expanding the kingdom is for everybody, right? We talked about this before. This isn't just for the pastor, all right? This is for the whole church, all of us. But it isn't about being spiritual rock stars. It's about being spiritual farmers. I'm not a rock star. I'm a farmer. And if you're a part of this church, you're not a rock star either. You're a farmer, right? This isn't, it, 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 you cultivate, we plant, we pray for rain and sunshine and good weather and we trust and depend and we tend and we nurture and we guide and we train and we harvest and we cultivate and we plant and we toil and we praise and we worship and we do it again. This is what we do. And this isn't just for a select few spiritual elites. This is for everyone, and it manifests in a variety, say variety, a variety of ways. It's, this is a variety of service and activities. There are different needs, and God manifests himself supernaturally in and through his church in a variety of different ways through a variety of different people to meet and provide for those very different needs right where you are. And he does so through an expression of unity in diversity, oneness and yet not sameness, when it, which in itself is a supernatural gift of God himself to the world through the church. Remember that God himself is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He exists in perfect selfless unity within himself. And he's created us in his image. And just in these three verses, verse 4 through 6, just in these three verses, we get a blatant expression of this glorious image of God in and through his people who are redeemed by him and depend upon him in his presence and his power to accomplish his great purpose. Look at this, verse 4. Varieties of gifts, same spirit. That's a reference to the Holy Spirit. Varieties of service, same Lord. That's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ whom we serve. 
varieties of activities. Same God, which is a reference to God the Father. It's an expression here of oneness and yet not sameness. Our carnal tendency, though, is to only appreciate what is like us or like what we understand. We tend to be apprehensive or suspicious or even fearful of things that take us out of those comfort zones. And yet, that's exactly how we're called to operate within the local church, by pointing one another to the king and the unique way his spirit manifests within us. And so gospel community is about transformation, not just conformity, okay? Community doesn't mean conformity. I was thinking about this earlier, uh, even this morning as, as I was driving here, and I was thinking about when I was little, um, my dad used to buy my shoes all the time. Like, he loved it. Like, he just would get me these shoes, and, and he would buy me these, like, teeny tiny high-top shoes. And they were always too small for me, always. Because his, his shoe size is like a size 9. My shoe size is like a size 12, okay? And so for a long time, he tried to put his, he, he was thinking, he, I'm supposed to walk in his shoes. Do you see it? And so he would he'd give me these shoes, and they were, they, I'm like, he had these high-arched feet, and he needed these high tops because he'd roll his ankles all the time. I didn't have a problem with that. I got long, flat feet, okay? <laughs> and so he, he, did a, he, he would try and put things that were his preference or ways that he had experienced things, but I'm not him. I got a great father, by the way, and he loves me a lot, Okay? But the reality is, is that sometimes people will put stuff on you that's according to their preference instead of fostering, cultivating, pointing you and drawing out the unique ways in which God has gifted you. You see that? We see this, by the way, with Saul's armor being placed on David in, in 1 Samuel 17, but that's a whole other story. The point here is community doesn't mean conformity. Gospel community doesn't require conformity to anything other than our sonship in Christ. And that happens, though, through transformation, not simply imitation. In other words, this isn't about elevating certain gifts or expressions or preferences over the other as if one expression of the Spirit is better than the other, right? So like even the weekender, is, it's not about whether you like our particular flavor of Christianity or not. It's about partnering together in Christ to accomplish the Great Commission and bring Him glory. So often people choose a church based on whether or not they think they fit in. Guys, if you're loving Jesus and you feel like you don't fit in, it's probably because we need you. Oneness and yet not sameness. Okay? Again, we're going to talk more about this in the coming weeks, but I want you to see right out of the gate here that the apostle makes it clear that this is not about preference. It's about Jesus. It's about laying down your preferences and comforts for the glory of God who calls his church to operate in deep unity in diversity. And so this requires a lot of humility. It requires a lot of security in Christ. It requires a lot of trust and faith and dependence upon God as we lay down our preferences and comforts. This stuff gets divisive when people get fearful and controlling. And so it requires a lot of patience and a lot of grace for when we fall short. But this is about surrendering to what King Jesus desires, not us, even when it comes to our own gifts. Think about this. So often God gives gifts to people that they don't even want. 
Like some of you have gifts that you're like, I don't want that gift. You're not stewarding it because you're fearful of it or you don't like it. Like, I, I, for example, I know so many people who have a teaching gift, but they're petrified of public speaking, and so they won't fan it into flame. I know people who, are, who have a gift of discernment who are so self-oriented that their discernment just paralyzes them, and it consumes them with the fear of man, because all they can think about is what the other people are thinking of them, rather than redeeming that into what God has in a way of encouraging others. You see it? See, every gift also carries a temptation and the responsibility to steward it and to place it under the dominion of Christ rather than our own flesh. That requires a lot of humility and submission to Jesus. This isn't about preference. It's not about comfort. It's about Jesus and his church and the Great Commission. It's not about your power. It's about depending on his. It's not about your kingdom. It's about leveraging your time, talent, treasure, and life for his. It's not about status or superiority or elevating one gift set or person over the other or dismissing one over the other. This is not about preference. It's about Jesus. It's not about your will. It's about surrendering to his. It's about deep unity in diversity, oneness, yet not sameness. This is who he is, and this is how he's called us to operate as an expression, even the manifestation of himself in the earth. Otherwise, you get a church full of left feet. You ever heard that expression? That saying, people who who can't dance is because they have two left feet, right? God's called his church to dance. For his glory, with him, even within the Godhead himself, experiencing what he bought for us, this access. This is how we build the church and expand the kingdom. Variety, selfless sensitivity to God's lead, entering into the dialogue of what he's doing in our church, in our city, in our world, and each individual's life. This isn't just a passing idea, by the way. This is a rich theology called perichoresis. Some of you are like, parrot, 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 what? Perichoresis. It's, a, it's a, an understanding that I, I it, it, it's a rich concept of entering into the dynamic relationship that God himself has within himself and is inviting us to express as his image in the earth. Deep unity and diversity. This is why it's so important that when we make disciples, we aren't just trying to make carbon copies of ourselves. We're fanning into flame the gifts and unique expressions of Christ within each other. Making disciples is about pointing each other to Jesus, not ourselves and our preferences. That's not discipleship. That's codependency, and it always leads to legalism. It doesn't create gospel community, only conformity. Of course, that doesn't mean that we ignore sin. That's why the word is our authority, even when it goes against our preferences. Amen? But we don't call sin what the Bible calls variety. Final verse, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So there it is again. These gifts aren't something separate from God. They are unique manifestations of His Spirit in and through His people. And so this is important. It's for the common good of his people. That's the purpose. Again, it's not just about you. One commentator said it this way, gifts are God going public among his people. 
And yet, as we're going to see, it also can be for your own individual edification or encouragement. We're going to talk about that. But even then, it's to fill you up in order to overflow. So to desire the gifts of the Spirit is to desire more of God himself. Are you hungry? Are you hungry for more of God? Are you thirsty for more of his presence, power, and purpose in your life and in our church and in our city and beyond? This is not about emotionalism or sensationalism. This is about the word of God, the spirit of God, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.